Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 24 of the Finger Guns podcast. I'm your host, Roscoe Keniston, and I'm joined by Mr. Sean Davies. Hello there. Hello there. How are you? I'm good. How are you? You know what? I'm doing good because our third microphone tonight is none other than Tim Utley, ladies and gentlemen. What's going on, guys? We've got we to oh. make this happen a little more often, I think. That would be sweet. Yeah, well, you guys make my Mondays great, so I appreciate it. Uh, you hear that, ladies and gentlemen? That's what we do here at the Finger Guns podcast. You make your Mondays better. You think you're going to have a crappy Monday? You're not going to have a crappy Monday because we're there on Mondays. So don't worry about it, guys. Everything is fine. All right. We've got a lot to talk about this week. So I'm going to get right on with what we've been playing. So, Tim Hartley, what the hell have you been playing in the last 20 weeks? Not not terribly much. Um, but I, uh, let's see, a little late to the game. I was, I've been playing My Heroes 1 Justice, trying to get back into that. Um, with kind of My Hero Academia being on break, and then uh, I picked up my friend Pedro. Almost done with that, and then just been playing like little little bite-sized stuff. I saw Sean Sean's tweet the other day about the Legend of Skyfish. I know it's one of the Red Alika games, and I know some people have some opinions about the games they make, but I think they're fun. I think they're just little bite-sized games. You kind of get what you pay for, but it's actually it's it's quite charming. So I've been playing. I played that for a couple hours yesterday. But other than that, just uh, I bought a house recently, so just trying to get everything unpacked and organized, and just been playing a lot of like old school stuff. I've uh, been playing a lot of N64, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I've been playing. Nice. I mean, talking of the rest of the games, I played uh, Sagebrush recently, which was a like a four ninety nine game on PSN, uh, kind of this lo fi mini open world where you had to uncover this mystery, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. It was a nice little platinum. It's very enjoyable. Our review of it is up on the site. Me and Sean have talked about it at length on the podcast before but it's uh yeah i have no issues with their games i think they're they're fine i think it's more it's more a trophy and kind of achievement enthusiast or purists they kind of see it as as cheap but you know they're they're fun bite-sized games yeah absolutely john what have you been playing this week okay so mostly i have been playing control let's talk about control let's that game has game of the year material within it it's not entirely game of the year material but it is very close to being one of the best games of this year. It is an incredible combination, and I think I said this on our Slack channel, of Uncharted, PsyOps, but written by David Lynch. That's the only way that I can really describe what this game actually feels like to play, because the shooting is on par with Uncharted, so it's a bit sloppy at times. The writing is sublime, but you're never entirely sure what the hell's going on at all at, at any one time. And there's loads of psychic powers. The audio is sublime. You know, I have never played a game that has been so spooky just through the audio. And that's because these people are suspended in the air. And as you walk towards them, words start to appear in your head. Like you can hear the voices talking and this is the hiss, the, the main bad guy. And it's just such a good game. Like the, the music that comes with fighting, it doesn't feel like typical action music. It feels more like somebody off kiltering with a drum kit. It's such a fantastic game. Have you, you've also been playing it as well, aren't you, Ross? Yes. How are you finding it? I disagree with almost everything you've just said. What? Yeah. Okay. I agree. The audio is fantastic. It is the best part of the game for sure. The atmosphere that game creates without being scary is just unreal. I do get nervous walking pretty much everywhere. But that's the problem with this game. I don't know where I'm going almost all of the time. The navigation aspects are 
you know, in game. So you have to follow signs and follow walkways and things to get where you, you're going. But it's just not clear enough. And I spend most of my time playing this game just exploring and trying to figure out where the hell I'm supposed to be going. The map is about as useful as a dildo made out of marzipan in terms of, you know, it's it's top down. It's classic, you know, old school maps. There's no real detail in it. It's just rooms and uh, corridors. And I'm finding it a bit of a struggle. I am definitely enjoying the the atmosphere, like I said, and the visuals are lovely. It's a very unique, interesting concept. I don't know if I'm loving it so far. I'm about about five hours in. Um, I've just unlocked my tenth little uh, save point area, and it's perfectly fine. It's just not pushing that game of the year for me yet. And also, it's a bit bland in terms of the use of color. And so yeah. I kind of like it. I don't like controlling what's her name, Jade. It's Jesse. Yeah. yeah, she feels far too. She's it's like she's floating instead of running or walking. It doesn't. I don't feel like I have really a lot of control over her. Other than that, yeah, I like it. Wow, I I have like I have exactly the polar opposite feel about it. Like, mm. it's rare that happens, isn't it? When me and you play a game. Yeah, and I I I agree. The map is crap, but I'm really enjoying kind of learning the ins and outs of this facility. I'm a, l- a lot further on than you are. So, and I'll be honest, I get lost. There are there are side missions where it says you need to go to this specific room and it the the room is just like plonked on the map and it is quite difficult to find just navigating yourself. But I I I kind of find that like because the the game restocks the enemies regularly that I'm not getting bored about with exploring. I, and I'm finding more bits that I missed the first time I ran through. Like, so first time I ran through panicked. The second time I'm running through, I'm like, okay, let's take this in. I found some very interesting files. I found a file earlier about a rubber duck that was talking to this agent's son. I don't know if you've seen that one. I haven't. I found one about a shark, which was mostly redacted. <laughs> about that shark. Yeah, yeah. That is one of the fun things about this game that, like, they so it's based in the oldest house, which is like the Federal Bureau of Controls headquarters that's also just gone haywire. Um, and everyone's kind of been taken over, but like, there's loads of files just lying around that you can pick up and have a look at. And there's just like it's it's like a Twin Peaks meets X Files meets you know the Twilight Zone, like, like files just lying around that you can explore and. and like read or most of you can't like obviously the shark ones mostly redacted can i ask you something yeah about control now i discovered uh my most recent ability which was the evade jump is there a way of missing abilities because i'm I'm moving on and i feel like i haven't had them for a while yes right so so have you have you met the janitor you met the janitor yeah uh yeah the maintenance floor can go fuck itself that that, that bit sucks but carry on you know, you're going to hate the rest of the game then. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that is one of the coolest characters of this game. The, the janitor, you know, the head of maintenance, that whole guy, he is freaky as shit. And I don't understand, like, so, did you notice that he's not so, like, basically, any, every human in this game that hasn't been taken over by the hiss is wearing one of these machines, apart from the janitor? He's oh, just like, he's, but he is, he is creepy as hell, like. Mm. He seems to understand everything that's going on in the building, and just none of it phases him. But anyway, he he has side missions um, which you can pick up, which 
lead to a few other objects of power. And there, as you get as you get further on, each new floor you go to, once you finish that floor, you have further side missions, which then lead to more powers. You can miss them. I think it'd be difficult to, even if you wanted to, because like the missions sound very cool. And they are normally just very just just off the beaten path, like not far. Like there's not a lot of exploring to do to find these side missions. Yeah, I've just um, I've just met Marshall in the research center. That's as far as I've got. Ah, okay, right. So I'm just having a nose around at the moment, looking for new things to to play with. But yeah, none the wiser just yet. I don't think we've ever had this kind of polar opposite reaction to a game. Yeah, before. I'm sorry, listeners, if you're looking for some kind of recommendation. We are 50-50 here, unless Tim <laughs> has some, some some insights into control. Uh, unfortunately, I don't, but I, I, I think from just kind of reactions I've seen on the internet, I, I think it, I think the game is, people are having kind of those polar opinions. I'm seeing people, I see tweets every two seconds, buy this game, this game sucks. I, I think it's it's really, there's no middle ground here. I think it's going to be an even split. I don't, I don't have a horse in this race. It's, mm. it's really odd, though, because like normally when you get these divisive games, you have like a... You have like a number of nines, a number of twos, and then stuff in the middle. You know, you have like fives and sixes and sevens. Here, it is seems seemingly like a nine or a two. People don't <laughs> seem to have those middle opinions at all. It's either completely. It's that Marmite. This is the Marmite game. Uh, yeah, well, I, think I mean it's it, yeah. uh, it's it's a seven for me at the moment. You know, it's it ah, is good. Okay, fair there's, there's no no denying it's a good game. But no, it's not. It's not a uh, game of the year for me yet. But like I said, I've still got a long way to go. Sorry, Tim. Come. Yeah, no. I think it's. I think it's just like uh, the movie Joker. There, the early reviews are starting to come out, and like if you go on Metacritic, there's you know a bunch of tens, eights, nines, and then like Time Magazine gave it a two. So it's, <laughs> I feel like I feel like the the, the middle ground is going to kind of fall out with with some things and. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I think Control, you know, Remedy has a great pedigree as a as a company. I, I love their games, so I'm definitely going to check it out. I think I just found Amazon for like 38 bucks, so I'll definitely pick it up. It feels it feels very much like a Remedy game for sure. You can it's just got Remedy all over it. There's live action moments, and there's you know just exploration like you you know well with things like Alan Wake, but I think Alan Wake was a little easier to get around. I think Control. It doesn't hold your hand as much as it just kind of throws you into a room and says, right, figure this out. And that's not necessarily a problem. It's just, I want to move on and I feel like I'm wasting too much time just trying to figure out where I'm going. So that's my thoughts on Control. Yeah, okay. So I've also been playing Rackfest, which I know you've also been playing. Yeah, game of the year. <laughs> okay, yeah, fair enough. Rackfest <laughs> is... So uh, just, just a little bit of a, a thing. So a number of years ago, I had a group of friends. We all we all used to play games together. It was like Halo, and you know we used to play it all the time. And then they all started to get into racing games, and I'm not massive into racing games. I'm like I'm okay at racing games, but they're not like a genre I'm very good at because I just can't drive for shit. Ah, oh, swore, damn it. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, I I cannot drive. So I stopped getting invited to these gaming sessions because the way I would win races is by just like driving into the side of other cars and then like Forza and Gran Turismo and like Test Drive and Grid, those things are looked down on. Whereas, you know, Wreckfest is the game that's like, hey, we are going to reward you for shunting that guy off the track. We're going to reward you for pitting him on the last corner of this race. You are going to get 
a big thumbs up from us for smashing other cars. And I finally feel like this is a racing game that that's like brilliant for all these people that hate racing games, but also <laughs> have friends who have like racing games. Yeah, I mean, it's not a racing game, is it really? Well, I, it just I, has it, it just has racing elements. Yeah, it, it is. It, I mean, the thing is, like racing games, you know, the the, the way they're designed is they're supposed to be re- reliant on skill and you know knowing racing lines and stuff like that. Whereas Wreckfest is just straight up luck. Most of the tracks have a part where it's like a cross of two streams of traffic. And if you are unlucky, you will go from first to 20, 24th or whatever is, and you know, in the grid in just one crash. So yeah, it it, it isn't a racing game, but it's it is a racing game because if you can be good on the races that that don't require this kind of passing of traffic or you know the, the tracks that basically have one line of traffic that keeps going back and forth along each other. Yeah, you know, you can you can get like 20, 30 second head starts that you could get like and make a massive difference between you and the pack if you really put your foot down and, and nail it. It isn't a racing game. It's a racing game for people who hate racing games, which is it's fantastic. A, it's a racing game for people that want to race lawnmowers. Yeah. Anything. <laughs> lawnmowers, like uh, combine harvesters. Have you have you tried the chair car yet? I haven't tried the chair car yet. No. So yeah, the the end race of the first um, kind of campaign mode, it, they basically sit you on a motorized chair that's got wheels and these massive exhausts sticking out of both of the armrests, and <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like impossible to control because it's just so yeah. Anyway, Wreckfest is great, and if you're looking for something that's that's like a racer that's not really a racer that like is basically destruction derby but with like all of modern day sensibilities that is the game for you yep would you agree Um, i would completely agree it's it's an absolute blast and our review is in the hands of greg so expect to see it sometime in about 2021 Uh uh (laughs) so what else i'm playing a game called whipsy and the lost atlas which i know i know what is it with you in these random a games it's your children, isn't it? They're like they see the image on PSN. And they're like, "I want that," and you're like, "All right then." They they aren't even to blame for this one. This this one was <laughs> so. There's a there's a twist. There's a, this one looked like Dizzy, and it looked like Donkey Kong, and it looked like Mario all rolled into one game, and it looked really cool from the trailer. And um, but actually, it's just really irritating. It's one of those games that are designed to frustrate you rather than to allow you to progress. The, the oh, games... so it's like Control. the the game's got five worlds and you have to complete each world in five lives or you have to restart the entire world it's just like the boss Mm. battles if you get to the boss battle and you've got one one life left you are just screwed just totally screwed and it's a pretty fun game but i just don't think the developers quite understood difficulty balancing if if they did continue throughout the game had it probably been done with it in about four or five hours, and that would have been probably the best length for it. But now I'm far more hours into that than I want to be, and I'm not anywhere near as long through it as I need to be. So, yeah, that's a frustrating game. What else have you been playing? Headspun. Let's talk about Headspun. So there's a review up on the website. Um, it's an FMV game all about being inside somebody's head and controlling a person who's had an accident and woke up from a coma and can't quite remember what happened. It's a fascinating game. It's got a really great concept, but there's so many bugs in that game that it was really hard to recommend. I give it a a 
three out of ten in my review. And Oof. yeah, you know, the thing is that I I felt that was really fair because like if if the books weren't there, I'd probably give it a seven because the side games and some of the writing is a bit dry. What is there that works? And this is, you know, it's like one of these things where you look at it and go, if this wasn't like it is, this could be like one of the sleeper hits of the year, but it, it's not going to be because it's launching without the care that it needed. You know, the developers, it's their first ever game. They were using an odd engine I've never seen before. And, you know, fair play to them. They, they tried something really different and it almost came off. If you like the FMV games that Wales Interactive have been doing, hopefully within the next couple of weeks, I've been speaking to the developer, there's like patches lined up. There's already been another patch released, which solves some of the things. You know, this this could be the next evolution of the FMV games because it, it combines action-adventure, like point-and-click games with FMV games. And it's, it's a really cool concept. So it's just a shame. I guess the last thing, um, Nights and Bikes. So yeah, that, that came out a couple of weeks ago now. It's so, so nice. It does definitely feel like a media molecule game. And it does definitely feel like something that Tim Schafer would wholeheartedly approve of. And absolutely top notch. I'm really enjoying it so far, and I can't wait to get further through it. It's just one of those. It's just just really pure game. Like a really brings out play, like the feeling of play. So basically, you play this these two girls on an island. And the island's famous to having some kind of like hidden treasure, and one of the girls has just arrived, and she kind of falls in with friends with this other girl, and they basically just go and have fun and have an adventure. And it's all played out in their imagination. So things that are mundane to, to us seem like wildly exciting to them. So it's it's just a really fun, pure game. And I I hope of, of the three games that released last week, it was last week, I think, you know, with Control was, and with yeah. Breakfast and with Nights and Bikes, I think it's had the least impact on the market out of those three games, the big releases. I honestly wish that people would check it out. So if you are listening to this, please go and check out Nights and Bikes because... It might surprise you because it is pretty damn cool. So what I, are you? I agree completely. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, I really, really enjoy it. It's. I remember playing it at Res last year, and yes. let me tell you, it's a lot more fun to play at home on a sofa than it is on a bicycle seat. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> they set up like two bicycle seats, and you had to sit on it to play the game. And I think it ruined my impressions of the game because I was so uncomfortable. But wow. um. Yeah, now I'm now I'm actually at home and I'm on my comfy sofa. It's uh, couch. Sorry, Tim. I apologise. Ah, oh, it's all good, man. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a very pleasant game for sure. Uh, what have I been playing? Well, I guess I've already said it. Really, I've been playing Control, Wreckfest, Nights and Bikes. I've been playing Bulletstorm on the Switch. Wow. We were very fortunate enough to get a code for that one, and it's an excellent port of Bulletstorm. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Goodness me. It's the Duke of Switch edition, so Duke Nukem is your uh, protagonist. And I'm having a really good time with it. I haven't played the Duke Nukem content before. And it plays brilliantly. It looks really, really nice on the Switch, particularly in the 1080, once you have the system docked. And it's great. It's just uh, Bulletstorm again. Bulletstorm never gets old. It's dumb as hell. It's not a particularly great game, but the uh, the port is really good. So I... if, you're, if you have a Switch, go get it. I have a question. Yes. So... This Duke Nukem like version, you know, you know, I love Duke Nukem. Are, are all the lines just basically the lines from the game we recorded, or is, do, does the lines feel different than they did in the original Bulletstorm? Uh, no, I mean it reworked the entire script. So, oh, cool. From 
from beginning to end, the NPCs that you play with are discuss- are talking to Duke Nukem rather than the original protagonist. So the okay. whole thing has been written again from beginning to end with Duke Nukem being Duke Nukem. You know, but like so so I mean you know the protagonist in the original game it wasn't exactly you know a ray of sunshine. So I'm just uh, guessing the the same the same story. Oh yeah, it's exactly the same game. It's just got oh, Duke okay. Nukem in it. Oh, do you yeah. know? <laughs> I, uh, that actually sounds really appealing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you already, uh, it was on PS Plus, wasn't it recently? So if you grab that, you can get the Duke Nukem add-on for three ninety-nine on PSN. Nice. Okay, I'm going to do that. Thanks. You're welcome. Oh man, what a stupid game! Right, that is what we've been playing. It's now time for. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most exhilarating, most exciting, most electrifying video game quiz in all the world. Hosting the Finger Guns Trivia Challenge. Lock up your daughters. Hold on to your butts and go absolutely uptown Funkatron for the smoothest cat in the entire podcast cosmos. It's the knowledge himself, Mr. Sean Davies! Oh, thanks for that introduction. It's very nice as always. Welcome to the Finger Guns Trivia Challenge. Today's quiz is all about video game trivia there is no theme i just basically went out and found 10 questions all about video games and if you've never played this before i'm going to ask some questions now and both roscoe and tim are going to answer these questions now tim i appreciate that you are here to give roscoe a run for his money i hope so man i i I get the feeling that you might end up with more wins than paul over this entire (laughs) season <laughs> Even though you you are here every twenty episodes, <laughs> but yeah. So basically, we'll read out the questions now, and uh, towards the end of the podcast, we'll give out the questions. Sorry, the answers. Uh, if you do play along at home, let us know how you get on through the socials or through the comments and whatever you're listening to this on. So, without further ado, have you guys got a pen and paper ready? Are you ready for this? Let's do yeah. it. Let's do this. Okay. Question one. <laughs> Which popular video game racing series turned 25 years old this past week? Question one. Which popular video game racing series turned 25 years old this past week? R.I.P. Drive Club. Oh, man. That isn't the answer. I just reminded of it. <laughs> I was going to say, like... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, question two. In the Homefront video games, which country invades the United States of America? Question two. In the Homefront video games, which country invades the United States of America? Okay, question three. Bit of a long question, this. So, Doris Self, known as the world's first female competitive gamer and also the world's oldest competitive gamer before she tragically died in 2006, was famous for setting world record-breaking high scores in which arcade game? Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, yeah, this question is inspired by a film that I watched this week. So if you watch King of Kong, you oh, yeah. should know this answer. Billy. Oh, King of Kong. Okay, question three. 
Derry Self, known as the world's first female competitive gamer and also the world's oldest competitive gamer, was famous for setting record-breaking high scores in which arcade game? Go okay. and watch The King of Gong, if you haven't done so already. Yeah, absolutely. Question four. What type of animal is Isabel, the player's personal assistant in Animal Crossing New Leaf? Ah. Shit. <laughs> and question four. What type of animal is Isabel, the player's personal assistant in Animal Crossing New Leaf? A really bad family day out. <laughs> there Question... it is. <laughs> Question five. <laughs> 2005's The Order 1886 was developed by which video game studio? Question 5. 2005 The Order 1886 was developed by which video game studio? Question 6. In the Mortal Kombat series, who is Sindel's daughter? If you've watched the movie or played any of the video games, you should know this. Oh, well, that's a great question. I don't know what that is. <laughs> question six in the Mortal Kombat series, who is Sindel's daughter? <laughs> question mm. seven. In Far Cry 5, what is the name of the Montana-based doomsday cult that formed the main antagonists of the game? Question 7. In Far Cry 5, what is the name of the Montana-based Doomsday Cult that formed the main antagonist of the game? Let the water wash away your sins. <laughs> yes. Uh, question 8. The original Assassin's Creed game began development as a sequel for which long-running video game series? Question 8. The original Assassin's Creed game began development as a sequel for which long-running video game series? Good question. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> question 9. What 1994 arcade rail shooter involved rescuing members of the band Aerosmith? from the oppressive New Order Nation. Question 9. What 1994 arcade rail shooter involved rescuing members of the band Aerosmith from the oppressive New Order Nation? And finally, question 10. How many Pokemon were there in the original red, blue, and yellow versions of the game? Oh, for fuck's sake. 
Ah. Uh, always get me with the Pokemon questions. This is my hint to say that you should go and play a Pokemon game. <laughs> Maybe Just I should. <laughs> and that was all 10 questions. That last Pokemon question and kind of uh, debating what my answer is. I have no idea at all. Pokemon is not my wheelhouse. If you if you need to clarify, I mean, when I say how many areas there, I mean how many formed the full Pokedex. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, Pokedex is still sounds like Greek to us, so <laughs> you're safe. Cool. Well, thanks for playing, guys. Thank you. Is that a place where I can deck Pokemon? Like, just line them up in a row and just one by one on their fucking I, face. I would absolutely love for you to take on, like, a Machamp or something. Smash him up. Yeah, I'm sure you would, mate. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. It'd be a fair, it'd be a fair fight. <laughs> I'm, I'm betting on you, buddy, honestly. Absolutely not betting against you at all. I don't believe you, but we'll, <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Um, all right, thank you very much, Sean. Pleasure. Let's get into some news. Um, let's say it's been a very difficult week in the world of video games. There's been a ton of very upsetting and very destructive news, which we discussed at length whether or not we were going to go into this week. We then realized that, well, you know, we're not really qualified to talk about it. So we discussed as a team whether or not we should talk about this week's abuse revelations and... Honestly, we wanted to rise above the hot takes that Twitter is so unfortunately infamous for to have an informed conversation regarding the treatment of women in the industry. Eventually, we decided that all that's really necessary to say is that the abuse stories are sickening, deplorable, and inexcusable. Uh, we think that no women should ever feel like they're unable to progress in a industry they love purely because of the actions of some men. We support and encourage speaking out and sharing experiences that can ultimately lead to a safer and more inclusive gaming industry. One that we will always strive to be recognized as welcoming, diverse and safe. We thank all of the women who came forward uh, for being brave enough to share their stories and finger guns will always fight in your corner. That being said, let's move on to this week's news. And well, Telltale Games are back. Kind of. It was Yay. a very... Yay! Thanks, Tim. Someone got. Uh, it was a very kind of upsetting September of last year when Telltale, out of nowhere, just disbanded and disappeared uh, forever. But it looks like that it's been reborn in some way, thanks to uh, two gentlemen. There is Jamie Otterley and business partner Brian Waddle, who have chosen to take the Telltale Games name and rebuild a brand new business with it. Now it's not the same team members it doesn't necessarily mean the same telltale's back not everyone's going to get their job back there has been some stories about former telltale employees jobs being offered to them whether or not they take them i don't know but um i wanted to do a quick quote from the article on gamesdaily.biz written by amanda farrow who said this is a quote from jimmy Utley. quote I mean, this is a company that should still be in business, so it turned into a relatively easy task to secure the funding and go forward with the offer. Most of it came from other video game veterans, and then I met Dave, Dave Miller and his team over at Athlon, and they were also incredibly supportive of the idea and came in. So sometime in November, we thought this might be a good idea, and before the end of December, 
we were signing an offer. So it looks like it was a very quick turnaround, uh, but there's a lot to still discuss about this. So I guess I'll put out there. How do we feel about this? Do we feel it's a good thing Telltale coming back? Do you think Telltale still have a place in the industry with the way their games are made? Tim, what do you think? Yeah, this this news was a bit surprising to me, but I, at the same time, I, I think I think they do have a still. I still believe they have a spot in this industry. I, I think they definitely left a, a void when they closed down last year. And I, I think you know I've, I've read a lot of articles about this, and I think if they if they stay true to what they how they want to kind of re re envision the company, I definitely think they'll be able to to make make a good go at it. And I, I think they're kind of emulating kind of the Netflix kind of binge model. I think if they can roll that out and they're successful doing that, I think they're going to be able to kind of capture more mindshare. Um, because I think one of the biggest criticisms of Telltale was, one, it's just this classic story of getting too big too quick. You know, Walking Dead came out, they exploded, they started acquiring the licenses to, you know, literally everything. And I also think they started to hit some diminishing returns in terms of quality and, and turnaround. So people were waiting a month, two months, three months in between episodes. So I think if they can work on finishing a complete product and then just kind of chop it up, and then instead of doing a month, kind of serialize it like a television show. And that's not my idea. I heard that from someone else, but I think it'd be a great way to kind of distribute that content. So it's not, you have, you have a better way of kind of curating that experience. But I think if, if they're going to go about doing episodic games, they, they need to kind of have a more modern approach to it. Because like, like, think about our favorite TV shows, like Ross, if you had to wait two months in between every episode of Doctor Who, you'd go insane. I definitely think if they, if they approach this uh, in a smart way and they don't, they don't go and make the same mistakes that were made in the past, um, I, I definitely think they have, a, they have every, every shot at being successful again. And, and I definitely think that their presence in the industry has been missed. They just need to be smarter about it. And I think, you know, taking on a minimal amount of funding to relaunch the studio, bringing on people from Telltale as contractors, and because they're just being honest, like, why would they, you know, the cost of a full-time employee is astronomical over that of a contractor. So like, they don't want to, you know, they have probably, well, they, they clearly have a finite amount of funding and they want that, they want that run rate to, to last them as long as they can until they can get a product out and start to see a return. So yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's a good thing. Um, I just hope they're smart about it. And, and if they are, then I think they, they have a very bright future. If they do the same thing that, you know, old Telltale did, then they're going to kind of be screwed. Yeah. And that's the important thing I think is to remember that Telltale pretty much dug their own grave in terms of how many games they took on at once and how the quality declines pretty quickly, which is a kind of a weird thing to say, because I remember playing Batman 2, The Enemy Within, and thinking it was fantastic, and it was one of their better series that ended up being, you know, ultimately one of their final games. And there was definitely quality issues, and that engine has always been an issue, but I think should this new Telltale, in inverted commas, uh, rebuild maybe one game at a time, then it should maybe be okay. Uh, Sean, what do you think about this? I'm, I'm really torn on this. I missed Telltale. I've missed Tell, Telltale a lot since they went bump. I have enjoyed almost all of their games, even the bad ones. And I say bad because, you know, some of them were not good at all. But they, I still find that, that, you know, the formula that they built and the tools that they used to tell a story to be very compelling. A lot of the news kind of said, Telltale's coming back. And I was like, wow, that is, that's great. And then you look into it and you go, well, two guys have bought the Telltale name and the, the IPs that they were working on. They haven't set up the same studio. A lot of the staff have moved on. A lot of the old bosses aren't coming back. 
a lot of the staff are now they're, they're secured elsewhere and those that have been contacted they might not want to go back because the closure of that studio was you know from all of the reports pretty damn traumatic you know that, that it was like hey come into work today and guess what we're, we're shutting down you've got 10 minutes to leave the building say your goodbyes now that sounds crazy and i can understand why people would not want to work with a company called telltale I, I saw a tweet from one of the developers. He was one of the narrative designers. And he said part of this kind of thing had made him feel like one of his friends started using his name to date all of his exes. And that's kind of a sentiment that's gone around a lot of the old Telltale staff. And without those staff, I'm not sure that, you know, it will feel like Telltale anymore. You know, you, with those games and, you know, the, the team wasn't massive. They had a finite amount of people. You could see the fingerprints of the people that were making those games, like Emily Bogshart from Twitter. You know, the, she's now working on the Waywards or the Way. Yeah, her vision of Batman really made that series stand out. Yeah, and you know, pretty much everything that she touched, you could see where she touched. So, like, basically, that she was she was one of the narrative designers, and they they leaned on her for all of the what what she called like lovey dovey scenes. And, you know, with Batman and Catwoman, you, you could see that that was like her thing. And she, she absolutely nailed that, that those interactions between those characters were some of the best, like, of any Telltale game. And, you know, Batman was good. I mean, you know, I gave the series a 10 out of 10 when I reviewed it way back when. But, you know, because such, such a brilliant voice acting, etc. But the storytelling, the way that they told the story was, was excellent. So, you know, without those staff, I'm not sure what it will, whether it will feel like Telltale. Saying that again, I am willing to give whoever this is another chance so long as they don't crunch, as long as they don't drive the staff insane like the last guys did. You know, because I there's the, there is a big hole left for narrative, episodic narrative games. A lot of places have tried to do the Telltale model out now and, and caved. They've got two episodes into a five-episode series, and those last three episodes never see the light of day. So... Fingers crossed that this, this new place can figure out a way of making that work, or like Tim said, deliver a full product and just chop it up and deliver it either in chunks or just sell it as one. You know, give us a 12-hour The Wolf Among Us adventure that we can play at our own pace. It's not Telltale for me. I wish they'd have chosen a different name and just bought the IPs, if I'm honest. I just kind of wish that had happened. But it's not the way, you know, it's a, it's a viable name. So, yeah. How about you, Roscoe? I'm a little bit torn on it. I mean, I'm with you. I love Telltale with all of my heart. I love them to my bones. Everything that came out, I at least played. I loved the the John Doe story. And like you said, the relationship between Batman and Catwoman was just fascinating. And that is mostly thanks to um, Emily Buck. I should stress, actually, if you do want to know more about this, you should watch uh, Danny O'Dwyer's No Clip episode on Telltale because it's absolutely fantastic. There's great interviews with Emily and many other developers about what happened to Telltale. It's a really, really great episode. You should watch No Clip anyway because it's awesome. But that one, that one in particular is really, really good. And I, I just think that there is something to be said about the fact that the developers were what made Telltale what they are. And despite them having terrible working conditions, and if anything, I'm happier that they're elsewhere now, probably being treated far better than they were at Telltale. They made brilliant stuff. And you could tell that they really loved their IP that they were working on, and they put everything they could into them. And so, yeah, I don't feel like it's Telltale without them. So it's going to be interesting to see how many actually come back, how many return to that. If they're going to hopefully continue with a new engine, the Walking Dead final season, you know, obviously a lot of it was then made by Skybounds, but it looked fantastic. So we shall see. 
We shall see. I'm cautiously optimistic about Telltale coming back, but I agree that they probably should have just taken the name because there is a little bit of a stigma around it now. And despite the fact that people got excited, you know, there is an argument to be made that it was a bit strange, I, I imagine, for the developers to see, oh, our old company's returning again. No one told us. It's yeah, it's, it, it's strange. Do you think that they're going to carry on with that with, with the IP? Do you think that there'll be a new IP? Do you think they'll they'll need to establish themselves again first before people start selling licenses to them? Yeah, I, I think there's certainly there's going to have to be some kind of they have to like prove that re, like kind of reprove themselves. You know, like the the old Telltale they had like I said they had such this such a high pedigree and I think I think people trusted them with the licenses. So I, I think they because when they bought the name they got the rights to what Wolf Among Us and Batman. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So I, I think if they're going to kind of retread there they're gonna to have to put out another you know fantastic property either using the batman or wolf among us storyline or or create something new i think they they're really it's kind of proving grounds right now I, I definitely think they they can get back there but i just think they need to be a little more deliberate um a little more judicious in, in the properties they take on and, and just kind of be just honest with themselves about what their what their load balance is because if they start to you know scoop up company or uh, licenses again they're just going to end up in the same spot and hopefully you know history doesn't repeat itself are we going to see because there were games announced by telltale before they before they disbanded there was uh the wolf among us 2 and i believe stranger things as well was one of them yeah do you think we're going to see them no because netflix after you know what happened their their relationship they wanted to get the whole the the minecraft uh, story mode to get with the netflix and that was kind of like where the whole deal fell apart I, i don't see I think Netflix have made their stance on on video games, and I think they're quite willing to put the money forward themselves to do it if necessary. You know, like the Bandersnatch. So you know, they now have the money and capabilities to do that themselves. If they wanted to, they could probably license out, you know, Stranger Things and to to the new Telltale. I just don't think they want to. And I think they, you know, they've got the Stranger Things video games already coming out, divisive as they are. So I, I would love to see that come out because it looked very interesting. And the art style was so in keeping with everything that we've seen from Telltale before, but also like kind of unique on its own. But yeah, I can't see that ever coming out. I, I honestly think the next thing that will come out will be The Wolf Among Us from, from the new Telltale. I say that because it's a, a series that a lot of people enjoyed and it's probably their rec- most recognisable. Um, and I don't think they want to try and follow the last season of... Uh, the Batman because it was so damn good that you know if you're going to try and follow that up as a new company you're really going to struggle yeah that's fair all right then let's move on to the next story and it's all about Sony and PlayStation it was revealed this week that Sony will not be at the Tokyo Game Show uh, this year this is of course following from their non-appearance at E3 and Sony are as ever very very quiet and keeping stum they have done probably for the past year now. So, Sean, where the hell is Sony? What's going on? So I, I've heard two two rumours about this. In fact, I've heard three, but I, I can't verify the third. So the first two, one comes from a reporter who, who knows his stuff and shall r- remain nameless. He said that a couple of months ago, sorry, more than a couple of months ago, a couple of games that Sony had greenlit were cancelled. And that's kind of why they've had this whole window just open up in their release slate. Now, that would that would kind of make sense. You know, you've got nothing to show at E3. You don't show at E3. You've got nothing to show at Tokyo Game Show. You don't show, you know, there's, there's no point putting on a show if you've got nothing to put on screen. 
the second one is as I, I would prefer to believe <laughs> because it sounds more optimistic as in the fact that basically Sony are keeping all of their cards very close to their chest to set up the next generation. So there's a list floating around the internet now of basically what every studio is working on and every studio is kind of accounted for, but most of the, the stuff that the, has been announced that they are working on isn't announced at all. It's rumoured, it's speculation. You know, nobody quite knows what Polyphonic Digital are doing. Nobody knows what Tokyo Japan are doing. Nobody knows what Sony London are doing. Nobody knows what Sony Manchester are doing. You know, San Diego kind of, everyone presumes that they're doing tie-in games. There's there's a lot of studios that don't have projects officially attached to them. So I kind of hope that this is the thing, but I get the feeling that they are kind of done with this generation and that they are just waiting. They're in a holding pattern now until they can announce the PlayStation 5 and could finally put all their cars on the table. Do you think that they're putting a lot of faith in these state of plays, even though they're incredibly scarce and seems to be one every five or six months at this point? I think they're really struggling with these, to be honest. I think mm. the Sony kind of ownership, the, the base of people that own a PlayStation 4 this time around, they aren't primarily hardcore gamers. You know, they aren't the people that log into Kotaku every day to get the news. They aren't the people that, you know, go out and look for reviews and trailers and stuff. They are the kind of people that, you know, they, they buy FIFA or Madden, they buy Call of Duty, and that might be it for the year. That is a lot of the user base for PlayStation 4. And fair enough for the Xbox One too, but that is, you know, a lot of people have gravitated towards the PS4 this year, this this time, this, this generation. With the Directs, you know, they've kind of taken away the grandiose nature of some of the announcements that they used to make even though they weren't as impressive as they probably could, you know, these announcements, if they'd have put them on the stage during E3, they could have probably put a different, like a decent show together if they'd have done the whole presentation correctly. Not like that fucking God awful show where they had four games and four demos in four different rooms, moving press from one room to another. That was shite. Oh, come on. They had a guy on a banjo. A banjo? Was it a banjo? It was definitely not a banjo. <laughs> they had a guy blowing a wood, wood in, uh, wind instrument. Yeah, for Ghost of, Ghost of Tsushima, but it was Last of Us before that. Was he a banjo? Did he play a banjo? I'm having a look. Carry on. Uh, yeah, please do. I'd like block that from my mind. Yeah, it, it, it feels like Sony have kind of um, put the brakes on for this generation. I think they are. And you, you can see it a lot in, in pretty much everything that they're doing right now, you know. The store updates on the PlayStation blog are a bit lackluster. You know, they they just not pushing any game that isn't their own. You know, you know, with Erica, for example, they they shadow dropped Erica during the Gamescom opening night and had zero marketing for it elsewhere. And you know, Erica is is one of these games that if if they're given a push, could be like Oscar bait outside Game of the Year chance winner. You know, it's one of these games that in the if he gets into the right hands, could get a, like a major push behind it but they just they didn't bother and you know one of the developers actually put together a, a guide on how to buy the game and sent it out on twitter because it was buried on the store there was no advertisement for it on the store despite the fact that you know it's sony's big thing for gamescom which is it's kind of odd and you know i, I just think sony are getting a bit too big for the britches and they really need to start communicating with their fans a little better especially coming up towards the PlayStation 5. I could have gone about this forever because I've got a major bone to pick with Sony about 
the way that they're doing this, but I, I don't want to bore you all night. <laughs> it was a banjo. It was a banjo. Okay. Yep. I'm staring at it right now. <laughs> I, I cannot... Like, I can remember the trailer, the start of that trailer where they're dancing, and I can't remember anything before that, which is probably well, for, the, for the best. At the very start of the Sony E3 conference, they were in a barn. And, oh, shit, yeah. Uh, Sean Layden came out, and he was like, hey, this is weird, huh? <laughs> Lol. And then some dude <laughs> some dude sat in a corner and played banjo, and then the trailer kicked in. Oh, no. Yeah. Imagine being there. That was just not a good idea. It wasn't. Tim, do you have any thoughts on uh, Sony's current situation about what they're doing? When are we going to see release dates for all these flipping games? What's going on? So didn't they? And I don't know if I've. I don't know if this is. I saw something about. Aren't they having an event next February? And I think that's probably where they're going to. I saw it in the elevator at work. It says something about Sony unveiling next PlayStation in February 2020. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's been confirmed. Is it? So this came out. This came out from an internal email that was apparently leaked to a national newspaper in the UK. Believe that to you know to whatever degree you want to believe it, but I don't believe that newspaper with to wipe my arse on, if I'm honest. So, so yeah, that's what, not, yeah. So I haven't I haven't seen it anywhere else. So I think it was probably it probably didn't hold up. But yeah, I think I think they're being quiet. They want to kind of preserve as much of the PS4 as they can. You know, if they make any announcements, it's going to kind of, I don't say shock people, but it's going to prevent people. It's going to, it's going to kind of cannibalize sales. So I think they're being cagey there. And also, I think they're still figuring stuff out. Microsoft has made a lot of momentum with Scarlet. Obviously, Google Stadia is, is causing some ripples. So I think, I think they, they want to figure out their strategy. And I think they want to kind of, they want to catch, you know, lightning in a bottle twice. So PS5 is, I think it's going to be a tough sell for some people if there's not a, a massive leap, but yeah, I, I think they're they're being quiet, um, which you know is, is smart, but it also at the same time it raises suspicion. So yeah, I, I really don't have much else to say. I think you know they're they're keeping it close to the chest, and I think when they're ready to to kind of drop more details, I think they'll you know the only thing that we saw that was pretty concrete was that thing that Mark Cerny did. But um yeah, other than that, uh, you know I think they're they're doing what they need to do to kind of protect uh, the remainder of the PS4 life cycle. Okay. You know when they're ready, I think they'll. We'll, we'll drop the bomb. Yeah. When is The Last of Us 2 coming out? Uh, it's coming out October 2019. Awesome. They're going to drop They're going to shadow drop it. Oh, that'd be so cool. Imagine. <laughs> and it's available to download now. <laughs> oh, man. That'd be amazing. Because Ghosts of Tsushima also doesn't have a date yet. Now, I mean, this isn't a surprise, but I just want to stress uh, a little while ago on a podcast, I can't remember which one, but I suggested that Sony would reveal the release date of Death Stranding on Twitter. And Sean was like, no, mate, they're not going to do that. It'll be on a stage. I don't know why you're from uh, Bolton all of a sudden, but that's what's happening. <laughs> and lo and behold, they announced the date on Twitter. The same way they did with Spider-Man. Is it now not impossible that they're going to do the same for Ghosts and for The Last of Us? It's, you know, nothing's impossible. Sony, you cannot predict them in a minute because Everything they do is just off kilter. It doesn't feel stable. It doesn't feel like they know what they are doing. Like they announced the Death Stranding date via Twitter. Like why they they had like a Gamescom conference to stand and talk about the game, with literally tens of thousands of people watching gameplay demos and Jeff Keighley. Why not just wait for that? There's nothing that makes sense about the strategy that Sony are adopting at the moment. 
I'm I'm going to go. I'm going to do. I'm going to do it. Okay. Oh, here we go. At the beginning of the PS4 on the Xbox One, when this whole thing kicked off, this whole generation kicked off. The only difference between the consoles was the fact that some games, some multi-platform games, looks mildly better on the PS4, and the PS4 had a fuck ton of indie games on it that weren't on the Xbox One, and that was because Xbox had this policy where you know you couldn't be on other platforms before you could be on the Xbox One, and it it it's a lot of people off. Sony also had this team called the Strategic Content Team. Now, the strategic content team went out and they they got indie developers to fill in all of the gaps that were in their release windows. You know, they went out and they went to do Mike Bithel and said, hey, you know, let's let's look at Thomas Rosalone, bring that to PlayStation. And he did. They went to Devolver and said, you know, Hotline Miami, let's have that on PlayStation. And they did. You know, they went out and they spoke to a lot of developers to fill in the blanks of where the releases are. Now, coming into this next generation, Sony had completely dropped that. In, a, in an interview with, I think it was the, the New Yorker or the New York Times, Sean Layden said they will not be pushing any indie games or smaller games. They are focused on their relationship with the big publishers. I get it. I get why you want to do that. You know, Call of Duty, it sells tens of millions of copies more than, you know, you know Sean and I dig or whatever. But Sony are missing out on the, the possibility to be on the ground floor of the next Minecraft. By doing this, they completely forgot why the PS4 took off. It was because at the beginning of this generation, you had list wars. You had look at all the exclusives on the PS4. There was 200 games exclusive within the first couple of years. Half of them nobody could even name, but it was a number because they were indie games and they were exclusive. And Sony had forgotten what got them the place with the PS4. They they forgotten the little guy, and now they're focusing on. Games which, you know, as this generation has gone on, it's become so freaking diluted. You know, you've, you've got games being developed by committee now. You know, you've got games that are, you know, they go through so much focus text testing. They cost so much more money that they have to go through focus testing. They have to appeal to as, as wide an audience as they can. And Sony are appealing to this than they are the guy in a basement making a game which could be the next, you know, massive. He could be the next Jonathan Blow. You know, it could be the next notch. You don't know. And they're just, they are ignoring this entire, and sorry, it just really freaked me off that like a lot of indie developers, I've spoken to a lot of them in the last couple of weeks. And most of them are like, yeah, Sony won't even talk to me anymore. And it's like, why, why is the, they, they've obviously, Sony have obviously adopted this whole, let's, we, you know, we built it, they will come. They can't do without us. We have a hundred million consoles sold. You know, if, if an indie developer's serious, they'll put it on the place. No, fuck off, because, like, you know, you look at Descenders and you look at, you know, pretty much every indie game now is available on the Switch and they're making a shit ton of money. You know, not just the developers, but Nintendo too, because all of them have got digital sales. There's so few of them who have had physical sales. They're all coming to the eShop. Oh, sorry, I've got to get out of that. Sorry, I just I needed to say that. I just I just needed to. Whew. Well... <laughs> I just like it was very cathartic. Just, it just pissing me off. I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Like I, I've had PlayStation for the last two generations. I had an Xbox 360, and the only reason, you know, at the beginning of this generation, sure I had a PS3. The transition was easy, but if the Xbox, you know, had 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 parity in indie games, you know, it would have been a, such a harder decision. Because there's games that came out at the beginning of the Xbox One that I, I still haven't played and still want to. There's like Rise, you know, and 
you know, those other games. But <laughs> it's just it's just super fucking irritating that Sony seem to have are like they're ignoring some of the best developers in the world. So what other games get... what other games do you want to play on Xbox? You know, now that there's backwards compatibility, um there's there's a shit ton. Mm. Um like do you know I went to I I playing Rage Two, yeah. I was like, oh, I'm going to go and play Rage. And then I figured out my PS3 actually the the disc. My kids have pulled it off the shelf, so the disc drive this disc drive is broke. So we needed to buy digital. Rage One isn't available digitally on the PlayStation Three. But if I had an Xbox One, I could play Rage. How is this a thing? I I don't know. Anyway, I just I, I think kind of my last thing about Sony is I think you look at PS2, they're on top of the world, and then they kind of let the, that hubris you know, creep out, PlayStation 3 comes out, $600 price tag. They had to, you know, just kind of eat that. And then, you know, PS4 comes around, they're like, all right, we have to show, you know, a, a modicum of humility. So they, you know, they made, like, they pop shots at Xbox with, uh, hey, you want to share friends with your, you want to share games with your friends? And it's just like, you know, handing the game over, just making kind of jokes about it. But now I think they're they're kind of coming full circle where it's like they're getting more to, like, PS2, PS3, Sony, where it's like we're we're gonna we're gonna stop focusing on what got us here, and we're just gonna we're gonna go after the money, which I think is I don't think is a good I don't think it's a good tactic. I think you need to have a an environment that is friendly to all and, and more inclusive. And I think they're starting to put those walls up again, which you know hopefully it doesn't backfire. You know Sony this generation they've been you know nothing short of spectacular. They've they've put out amazing games. They created an environment that really kind of engendered the, the indie community and now it's just it seems very cyclical their behavior and that's what's most confounding about it to me because they don't have to be that way no yeah, they don't i agree sean is there anything that would stop you from getting a ps5 next gen and plot for xbox instead see this is why i think that so i i think that sony are like very confident in their assessment of the ps5 and you know moving against the next xbox because of backwards compatibility this, this wasn't an element of the PS3 to PS4 and Xbox 360 to Xbox One. It means that, you know, at, at the beginning of the, this generation that we're in now, you could buy a game based on exclusives because you wouldn't have to think about, you know, are my previous games, you know, compatible. Moving forward, because Sony have got such a massive lead over everyone else, they seem to just think that people are just going to buy their next product. And I'll be honest, if something else comes up, and it makes financial sense for me, and I can still get the best, like as good as experiences elsewhere. Then I wouldn't think twice about jumping ship. Like if Google Stadia works out, and Google Stadia can get all the multi-platforms and finally signs some exclusives, I'll be there. It's cheaper, and I'll be able to play games. Whatever. If if the next Xbox is on par with the PlayStation Five, and it has good exclusives. And it's backwards compatible. Why not? Like Sony needs to realize that like they haven't locked people in. I can still own my PlayStation Four and still play my four hundred games that I've got on it. It doesn't mean in the next generation people are just going to automatically buy the PS Five. And that you know they there are a lot of reasons why I wouldn't buy a PlayStation Five. If for example, a lot of the like the good cool indie games, the weird games, the little experiences which you can't get elsewhere if they aren't on playstation 4 why would i bother now you know you look at the switch right now you know every every week is like like indie palooza it is ridiculous the the quality that's coming out of that console and 
you know, I'll, I'll I'll hold my hands up. A couple of months ago, I said that I expected the Switch to start to struggle when you know third party support started to wane. Sure, EA aren't on there, but freaking out the indie game, the indie games are made up for it like tenfold. So who gives a shit about EA? EA don't give a damn, and and you know players on the Switch don't. So yeah, Sony needs to watch the back. This the, you know the end of this generation, they they could end up losing loads, and I I feel for them because they really don't need to do this. They don't need to be so abrasive it just feels like all of that for the players stuff has gone out the window and it's like mm, for the stockholders so <laughs> you know we'll see sorry i needed to get that off my chest i've like i've been boiling on it for like two weeks no it's okay it's okay because last <laughs> week you were you were such a fanboy for sony and now i am a sony fanboy because like they have had the best console this generation that makes some of the best games it doesn't take long for these things to change you know you look at the way that the xbox 360 was that was that generation it sewn up it had the best games it had the best experiences for a lot of people and then the the next generation comes around and you look at japan for example they were selling single figure xbox ones over there single figure not like hundreds ones and twos you know the xbox 360 there was never that bad mm. you know it's been a massive mismatch from this it generations it's like a reset of the clock and i want sony to continue to to be the best that they can be to offer the best games that they can to bring everything under one roof and you know let me play my freaking weird indie games while i also play you know the last of us part two but hmm. i just want them to to be better i want them to hold themselves to a better standard and they just they're not you know they're letting the competition just walk all over them at the minute the first thing they need to do is give spider-man back to the mcu <laughs> oh no once that happens <laughs> everything will be fine yeah and vita vita 2 and a vita 2 oh man imagine there's the, the the vita 2 and the dreamcast 2 sitting up at the clouds uh, <laughs> oh yeah that's a, that's a show in and of itself all right then let's talk about something we can all get behind greg miller <laughs> yikes <laughs> This is, it is serendipitous that you are on this podcast. <laughs> oh, I know. I knew I this day was it. coming. <laughs> um, this week, those wonderful chaps over at Kind of Funny announced that they're doing a Borderlands show, which will presumably go from now up until when the game is released and po- probably afterwards as well. The show is going to feature sorts of developer interviews and let's plays and all sorts of random things. And it brought up the question of game commentators working with publishers to promote games and we've seen it a fair bit kind of funny the last year or so greg miller himself has worked with ea and square enix andrea renee has worked with ea and it brings the question can they still really have an opinion on video games that you believe to be a truthful one when you already know that they're working with publishers to promote certain games and unfortunately the biggest bearer of this is currently kind of funny. I'm sure there are ones that are a lot worse, but that's who we're going to focus on today because that's where the story began. And so Mr. Tim Utley, as a favorite fan of Greg Miller and his crew, uh, what do you think about this? I think it definitely it poses a question. Is there a line and, and are they crossing the line? And I, I think they do, they do a lot of promotions with companies. And I think this year in particular, they've really kind of amped that up. I, I think it really just comes down to kind of your, your ethics policy. And it's also do your research. 
Um, you know, just like finger guns, you guys have an ethics policy, a review policy. So if you get a code, you know, you're very transparent with your audience. And I, and I as a consumer of, of some kind of funny content, I, I do think, you know, they do a good job of saying, hey, you know, we're, we're doing a promotion with X company to promote X product. You know, take our opinion with a grain of salt. Um, I don't think they intentionally try to mislead anyone. And I, I even knew when, you know, when Colin Moriarty was there before he left to do Colin's Last Stand, um, you know, he was very uh, adamant about making sure that, you know, they operated with kind of radical candor. So it's like, if we're doing anything that's promotional wise, you know, whether it's paid uh, or just just using, you know, creating a signal boost for a company or a product, I think they've been pretty, pretty good about it. But yeah, it starts to, when you start to lean, when you're doing dedicated content for one particular game, for one particular company, it starts to beg the question, you know, what's, you know, is, is the content you're creating one, is it, is it going to be trusted? Um, who knows? You know, Borderlands 3, uh, I know a lot of people are anticipating that game. I know it's on a lot of people's radars, but if you're... If if you're doing content that is solely based on a, on a single IP and promoting it and, and getting probably paid, you know, a shit ton of money from Gearbox and Pay2, you know, it really, I don't want to say it's, you know, you, you should quite, well, you should question it, but I don't, I don't know, I don't know the right answer because I, I think a lot of these, you know, we'll call it kind of funny, kind of an indie outlet, you know, they, they don't have the same capital backing. You know, when you see IGN, they do a review for, you know, Hitman or, you know, I think Hitman was one that was kind of divisive where, you know, they took probably tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in advertising revenue and their page was, or their, the front, the homepage of IGN was, had splash screens for, you know, everything Hitman. And then I think the review was, was somewhat, you know, promising, but then there was other games that they heavily advertised for, you know, the, the side banners, they had ads everywhere. Um, and then they gave the game a poor score. So it's, it's a tricky situation. I think, I think outfits like kind of funny that are smaller and they operate a little more lean. I think they tend to, they latch onto these kind of promotional opportunities. I, th I just think as long as they're honest with, with their audience, I don't really see too much of an issue, but it really, the content that you're producing should be diversified enough where it doesn't seem like you're just kind of a corporate shell. Uh, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, Sean, what do you reckon? I really don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> I how how many how many kind of funny best friends how many how many Patreons do they have nowadays? How I much... don't I don't like to think about it because it makes me sad. sad Quite a few thousand. Now, I don't I don't dislike kind of funny. I just want to get that out there at all. You know, there are moments where of genuine brilliance at some of the stuff that they've created, and I respect Greg Miller and Colin Moriarty when he was there. I respect them as game enthusiasts and you know commentators on the industry. I can't get on board with everything they do, but yeah, I just want to get out of there. I don't hate them. I just wanted to have this discussion because I felt like it was worth talking about. Yeah, I think it, I think Sean, to answer your question, I think at one point between kind of funny games and kind of funny, their Patreons were pulling in about. I think between the two on, on a yearly basis, it was somewhere around half a million just in Patreon. Okay, so. Half a million dollars. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I'll be honest. If somebody said to me like, "I'm I'm running this Patreon. I'm running a website. I'm running a content generation machine. I'm going to do daily stuff. It's going to be of the the best standard we can possibly achieve. We're going to pay all these people. I'm going to take in half a million. Do you think I could do that on just half a million? I think I probably could. I think I probably think as a team, 
I probably wouldn't need to take the promotional stuff. And it irks me that they do when they have such a prominent place and such a lot of support. You're right, Tim, that you know websites they they have they have adverts for websites, and then those websites get accused of bias because they are being paid by a certain. But the advertising and editorial teams of these websites are kept incredibly separate for a reason. You know, they the writers. 90% of the time, they would not even know what adverts are going to run on a website. In fact, half the time, they don't care. They don't even look at the review after it's gone up. It's just up and it's done. Kind of funny, I've stepped into this weird place where advertising and editorial is the same thing. And I honestly can't think of another time that this has ever happened. Whereas you've gone from being a a commentator on the games industry, a news outlet... You know, they, they don't have a traditional website like IGN do or whatever, but they've gone into a place where they are basically doing like community management as well as content creation. And it, it is, it's a weird gray area that I really feel uncomfortable with. It's one of those places where, to be honest with you, I've, I've never really got on with a lot of what kind of funny have done. I find them to be ill-informed often. When I get to the content and I listen to it, I think, well, that's like, that's two days old. That's not running on, you know, I, I listen to, and I don't listen to them often. I listen to them when they were talking about how they hope that the Joy-Con drift issue doesn't affect the Nintendo Switch Lite. And my brain can process it because the Nintendo Switch Lite doesn't have Joy-Cons. It's not an issue. And they went on about it for like 45 minutes. And I was like, okay, this this just doesn't make any sense. Moving into this editorial space, like with advertisements, I find really icky and I'm not sure whether they should be allowed to do it or not. When it's up in IGN, you know, when, when you go to IGN and you see a trailer, even if it's on a tweet, they put sponsored, they put paid for, they put, you know, they advertise it very well. But like... When they say we're going to do a show all about Borderlands 3 and the content, you need to see it straight up in front. I have been told, I have been paid to say this. This has to be as clear as day that what they are saying, they are being paid to say. Because if not, you're, you're basically becoming one of the shittiest YouTubers. You know, these YouTubers that sit there and take tens of thousands of dollars a year to say games are great and not not advertise the fact you know the ones that you know warner brothers got pulled up about because if not they, they are going into that space and that is really you know not great when you are drawing half a million dollars from fans it's not good yeah no that's that makes sense i i think i think the difference between what kind of funny does and i'd say some other even on the topic of colin moriarty like i listen to sacred symbols every friday when it comes out and i don't subscribe to his patreon so I get like the free feed, but his, his podcast two, two to five times an episode. And, and they're pretty lengthy. They're about as long as, as the finger guns podcast. There's just random adverts for shit that like, I don't even think he cares about. It's just like random influences or it's like, Hey, I'm this person. And we talk about underwear for an hour. You should listen to our podcast. And it's, I think lesser of that because he's taking advertising money for and he's for products that he doesn't even give a shit about. And I think with kind of funny, they they do yeah, they do pander to the to the best friends and their audience. But I, I I like to think that they promote content that they believe in. Like I don't think Greg Miller or Tim Geddes or any of these guys at Kind of Funny would be like, yeah, we're going to promote something they don't care about. I, I think they try to align themselves and their audience with the things that they like and they enjoy. 
I think it'd be really off brand if like if Greg Miller started promoting a video game that he knows that he's not well informed about or his audience doesn't care about. That's where I would I would probably be more in your camp where it's like, well, wait, what the fuck's going on? Like, Greg, you don't you don't play racing games. Why are you doing uh, a, a one month video series for Grid? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, fair I, enough. I, yeah. I, yeah, so I, I would like to think, I, you know, none of us know for certain, but I would like to think they align themselves with games that they're excited about. And I think with Borderlands, yeah, I could, I could go on about this for hours, but uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll cut it off there. <laughs> I, th- I think you are, I think you're right. I'm, I'm out of the, the sketchier end of, you know, you get these Twitch streamers that take money from developers to play a game. And then the first like five seconds of the stream is, I really don't like this genre and I'm not really going to like this game, but I was paid to play for an hour. So I'm going to do that. And that's terrible. And then, you know, podcasts in general, when they have adverts, they are nothing to do with the subject matter. You know, I don't know how many times I've heard like Chris Jericho talk about, you know, keeping awake at night so that he can win the AW championship using whatever these fucking night tablets that he uses or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, fair enough maybe they are creating content which is best for their community but they still need to really focus on the fact that they are taking money to do community management and i just hope to christ that they don't end up crossing that line because it feels super icky and and not great that they are in this place now especially when you join half a million dollars man that's crazy money uh sorry roscoe have you got a thoughts on this and uh, nothing that uh, you or Tim haven't really said it is tricky and it is difficult. Um, I find that as an audience, the kind of funny best friends are ex- kind of expect a certain level of of attention to the transparency. And you know, to their credit, when they when they talk about certain things, they'll go, you know, we were paid to play this game, so you know, think about what we're just about to say, you know, in whatever way you want. But the most awkward thing for me is that they they're not really trying to hide it now i mean i can't watch uh games daily anymore because they just work with too many publishers and it's difficult to differentiate the two for me i'm a huge fan of andrew renee and what's good games i think they do a really awesome podcast and it's really entertaining and andrew renee as a host when she hosted the ea play last year at e3 I thought she was fantastic. She didn't stutter over her lines. There was no ums or ahs. She was just straight as an arrow. And it was great to watch. And so should you still really be talking about it as a commentator? Because there's that line, which I think is a little bit skewered. And this Borderlands one, they've done a couple of party modes, I think, recently. Their, their, uh, their Let's Play series of Borderlands 3. And that's fine. You know, that's just a thing that happens. It, they're, they're sponsored by 2K, I'd imagine, for them. But yeah, I find it very awkward. And it's, it's made me kind of switch off from their content. Yeah, I, I think just kind of the last thing about kind of funny is uh, when uh, when Colin left and that that whole situation was ridiculous. Colin was really for me like I went there for Colin. You know, Greg is very boisterous, goofy guy. You know, Tim Geddes is like the Nintendo guy. Um, you know, I, I went there for Colin, and when Colin left, I didn't watch anything kind of funny for almost a year. I've only recently got back into it just because I have a three-hour commute every day. So, you know, I listen to a podcast in the morning, I'll read on the train on the way home. So I, it was really just more content to kind of fill the void. And for the most part, you know, I, I don't have as much time to kind of, you know, scour scour websites. You know, I'll read your guys' content when I have time, and uh, I'll, I'll kind of follow you guys on Twitter. And that's that's really how I kind of stay informed. But yeah, it's definitely 
their content hit or miss. You know, I used to be, as you said earlier, I was pretty much like kind of ride or die, kind of funny. Like I would watch all their shit all the time. I'd spend hours a week watching the videos. And now it's just, I'm very, I'm very selective. You know, the podcast I'll listen to because it's just, it's, it's brainless. I just, you know, I just listen to it and I can kind of just veg out. But yeah, it's definitely their content. It, it goes up and down. Like I like Andrew Renee. I like when they have Gary Witt on. I think he's, I think he's really well, well informed, and I think he he brings a level of edge to the show that's not not there typically. Um, and I think after this whole game informer thing, they're going to start trying to scoop up people. Imrim Imrim Khan just became uh, a co-host for Games Daily. But yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting area, and I think it's something that you know I think it's a conversation that we should continue to have, you know, based on what happens. It's interesting that because I remember when Conan left and when he started um, Conan's Last Stand, and he was very adamant that. He wouldn't advertise things that aren't related to what he was talking about. And it seems like he may have now gone in that direction. Yeah, he, you know, he was just like, I'm going to get away from video games. He had his historical channel, which was great because, you know, at, at his heart, Colin's a historian. That's what he went to school for. So his content, that was a way for me to kind of learn and like brush up on things that I wasn't, you know, so familiar with. And I think he did it with a very, um, he sees history through a very unique lens. So it was interesting. And then he started Colin's Last Stand side quest. And now he hasn't made a single video for Colin's Last Stand. And I, I, I could be wrong here, but it feels like a year, year and a half, he hasn't touched that channel at all. So he kind of went back to doing the video game stuff because ultimately at the end of the day, that's where the money is. He probably wasn't, you know, he's doing, I think he's doing all right on his, on his Patreon. Yeah, it was just, it was super interesting. And his, his podcast is great with Chris Reagan. But yeah, like, like I said, there's just random advertisements that I, don't know if like Podbean is putting them on or I don't know how, I don't know how those adverts are, are being curated. It just doesn't make any sense. It's just random shit that like, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> That's interesting. Right then, let's move on then from that discussion and talk about video games. Hooray. Uh, September is looking like another jam packed month full of video game goodness. So very quickly, I'm just going to go ask Sean and Tim what they're most excited for this month. So Sean, what are you most excited for in the month of September? I tell you what, start with Tim because I, I have a list. You didn't, oh, man. We're, we're already me. at we're already at ninety minutes. Yeah, I'll 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 be quick. I'll be quick. <laughs> I'll be even faster. Gears five, Sean. <laughs> wow, that's that's that was really. <laughs> there <fast>. you go. <laughs> Do you want to go next, Roscoe? Because I've got a list, and you can check some of them off. Uh, yeah, I mean, there isn't an awful lot, really, to be honest. On my end, uh, I'm excited for. Uh, let's see. Woo! Untitled Goose Game. Yes. I'm looking forward to that. That's coming out on September 20th on Switch and PC. I'm excited for the Link's Awakening remaster. Obviously, uh, coming out also on September 20th. Very, very excited about that. And that's about it, really. I can't really think of anything else that I'm uh, super jazzed about. Really? Mario Kart on my phone. I'm all about that. That's the one with the incredible microtransactions, isn't it? Yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't uh, wait. There's, there's Ori in the Blind Forest on Switch. I'm really looking forward to that. I still haven't beaten that game, so I'm looking forward to finally jumping back in. And the Doctor Who VR game is out this month, isn't it? Yeah, Doctor Who: The Edge of Time. Yeah, I mean, I can't play it, but I'm excited that it's coming out. <laughs> I'm excited to hear about it and if it's good or not. Do you know what? Uh, I'm going to let you remote play it via me. I'm going to set you up on PlayStation 4 and say remote play, and then you uh, can join a party. You can tell me which way to turn. That'll never work. It'd be like a nightmare, like um, from the BBC, you know, <laughs> <laughs> forward, forward, <laughs> left, right. Oh, no, he's dead. Uh, I'll watch a couple of Let's Plays. I think that's as close as I'm going to get. Right then, Sean, your list. Let's go. Okay, right. So last month I talked about Pine and the Twirlbound, um, the indie game that was like a, an open world, prehistoric, 
its own ecosystem. That game, at the time, I said it was well too ambitious to be releasing and not having any of the PR and stuff done. It's been delayed into September, so that <laughs> pine, look out for it. It looks pretty cool. The Final Fantasy VIII Remaster. I can't believe neither of you have mentioned the Final Fantasy VIII Remaster. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's yeah, fine. Not, not, not my bag. That's, really? uh, that's, that's Tuesday, isn't it? It is. It is the oh 29, 28 hours between when we're recording. <laughs> Not that I'm counting down or anything. Um, so there's River City Girls. I don't know if you've heard about this, but it's it's basically like a beat 'em up, but it, it twists the whole genre on its head. So these three girls are out and their boyfriends get stolen. So they go to go and get fight them back. It's like a twist on the whole damsel in distress situation, and it looks pretty cool. Greedful. This is the new one from I think it's Spiders. It's you know an RPG where you get to mingle around a city, make friends, and then go on fights. It looks pretty cool, and I hope like if you've been watching, you know Xbox put a lot of it in their 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 Gamescom presentation, and there's a couple more trailers out this week which look that, really great. That logo is awful. It looks, <sighs> yeah, it looks very nineties. Yeah, and and like I don't know if like the name or something. It just seems like one of those games that people are like. Eh. When you when you go into the mechanics of it, it sounds fascinating. Like having this city where you have to do politics and negotiate with all of them to kind of keep peace, but also then go on missions with them, like to keep the city from being destroyed. It sounds really cool. It sounds like um, <laughs> uh, okay, just me then. Fine. <laughs> as Blast- these things often are as these things often are <laughs> yeah that's true yeah blasphemous which is like a gory um castlevania style game mm. borderlands 3 i'm i know i'm like the only one of this podcast who's excited for borderlands 3 but you know i'm, I'm excited to get back into that series again just um, to uh, confirm for our listeners we are doing a borderlands show uh, next week so take it with a pinch of salt whatever we say <laughs> we'll have Randy Pitchford here um, live oh, from God. the muddy <laughs> medieval times. Anyway, that's another thing. What they fuck Randy Pitchford. <laughs> and uh, anyway, go on. Uh, okay, so uh, another one is AI: The Somnium Files. Uh, so I don't know if you've ever heard of like Nine Doors, but like the Nine series. It's like a weird escape room style series with weird stories and time travel and shit. Well, the makers of that game's new game is called AI, the Somnium Files, and it looks pretty cool. you got Overland, the game that was made famous by a bug that made a giant dog on the map that went viral on Twitter. It's a post-apocalyptic um, turn-based sim thing that looks very cool. Baldur's Gate, Neverwinter Nights, and Planescape Torments are all getting remastered this month. They're all coming to PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. And then you've got Freedom Finger, the game where you fly as a middle finger on the Nintendo Switch, which had to be which had to be censored on all the trailers on the directs. But yeah, basically you fly as a middle finger that shoots bullets and it's got Christ. it's so good. Like the, it's the the cast of that, like they've got Dolan North and they've gone like full to town on making that game. But yeah, it looks cool. It looks fun. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you, you said Doctor Who, The Age of Time, and on to, on to, Untitled Goose Game. So yeah, there's a lot to going out this month. There's a lot of going there. You, you say there isn't, but I say there's shitloads. I never said 
there wasn't. I'm just uh, just looking out for games that I'm excited for. We're getting into that time where we have to make difficult decisions on what games we purchase. Yeah. And yeah, I'm just trying to keep an eye on the ones that I really, really want. See, the thing is, this is where me and you differ. You go, the difficult decisions about the games I can play, and I'm like, the difficult decisions of the game I'm not going to play. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Give me all the games, all the games. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, I'm so glad I game share. True that. Uh, right then, let's go into the quiz answers. Okay then. Let's are go. you guys? Are you guys ready? Ready, ready. Okay. Oh, I'm ready. Uh, question one was: Which popular video game racing series turned 25 years old this past week? Um, Tim, what have you got for that, buddy? I'm pretty sure this is wrong, but I put Gran Turismo. It is incorrect. Uh, uh, Roscoe, what have you got? I put Gran Turismo. It was Need for Speed. Ah, fuck. Okay, Um, question two. In the Homefront's video game series, which country invades the United States of America? Tim, who who comes and knocks, like, parachutes onto your beautiful country? North North Korea. That is correct. North Korea invades in Homefront. Are we talking about the game or in real life? (laughs) <laughs> well, both <you> know, <laughs> one was full bearing for the other uh, question three Doris Self known as the world's first female competitive gamer and also the world's oldest competitive gamer was famous for setting world record breaking high scores in which arcade game Tim uh, I put Donkey Kong Roscoe what did you put I put Qbert Qbert is the correct answer yeah shit yeah, Billy Billy Mitchell gives her a Qbert machine at the age of I think it was sixty three, and she hadn't played in a long time. And she because he handed over the machine, she then started to compete again and became the oldest competitive gamer and also the first female competitive gamer, which is awesome. Question four: What type of animal is Isabel, the player's personal assistant in Animal Crossing New Leaf? Roscoe, she's a dog specifically. She is. A dog. She is. She is. Which is yeah. an awesome. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> uh, Will I get question... an extra point for that? No, you, you don't have an extra point for that. Uh... I t- do you know what? I'll give you an extra point if you can tell me what her Japanese name is. No, okay. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> the Japanese name is basically a play, a play on Shih Tzu. It's like Shizu. And that's why they call it, that made her a dog. Uh-huh. Anyway, question five. 2005's The Order 1886 was developed by video game studio um, Tim. Who made Order Ready of Dawn? That is correct. Okay, question six. In the Mortal Kombat series, who is Sindel's daughter? Uh, Roscoe? Shot in the dark, buddy? Uh, Sonya? No. Oh, I don't know. I don't know female characters in Mortal Kombat. Sorry. Okay. I've... Tim? Jade? No. Uh, it's Kitana. Oh, I'm sorry. I play, I play it for the narrative story in Mortal Kombat. I don't play it for the character. Like, if you, even if you watch the first movie, you'd know that because, like, Sindel's like... Oh, I haven't seen it. Oh, my God. All right. Oh, okay. you, want, you, you want me to admit it? Here it is right there. I haven't seen it. Okay. Fair enough. The next time we have, like, an event, I'm going to force you to watch the Mortal Kombat movie. Um, Seems harsh, but okay. <laughs> as a punishment yeah and <laughs> question seven in far cry five what is the name of the montana based doomsday cult that formed the main antagonist of the game roscoe the church of eden hmm, hmm. eden's gate if you want to be specific <laughs> tim tim what have you got uh, i put mormons <laughs> okay <laughs> 
<laughs> the the actual name of the villains is the project at Eden's Gate, as in the Peg Project, Peggy's, without the P, not a Peggy. Oh, fuck off. Church of New Eden. <laughs> so so no. Uh, question what? eight. What? <laughs> no, I'm like I'm not giving you like the Church of New Eden, since so though it's Project at New Eden. I said I said Church of Eden's Gate. Yeah. It's called the Project at Eden's Gate. The whole, the whole thing. Wow. Like, the entire of that game, they are called wow. the Peggies. They're Peggies. Like they're not called the Keggies, which would be correct if they was church. But no, it's Peggies. Now I know what pool feels like. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, question eight: The original Assassin's Creed game began development as a sequel for which long-running video game series? Tim. Prince of Persia. Prince of Persia is correct. Yay. <laughs> Question nine: What 1994 arcade shooter involving res- involves rescuing members of the band Aerosmith from the oppressive New Order nation? Roscoe, any ideas on this? Uh, that's Revolution X. He's the man. Well done, mate. Yeah, that yeah. game was so fucking bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and question ten: How many Pokemon were there in the original red, blue, and yellow version of the game? Tim, I'm going to say 150, but I feel that's wrong. Ah, uh, it's 151. Oh. No, because 150, because they added Mew, right? So Yeah, so the Pokedex, thought... Pokedex had 151 entries in it that you could unlock, but you couldn't catch Fuck Mew. Me, I had that written down. God, <laughs> God damn, I had that written down, but I, I went with 150. Oh, so that's a, I'll take the L on that. Fair this enough. is rough. <laughs> At least you aren't going to argue for like 20 minutes like Paul would. <laughs> um, so let's tot up the scores. Um, that's harsh, man. That's harsh. Well, I, you know, I've got to, I've got to have. You're being super strict tonight. I've got to have consistency across the whole thing. Oh, is this they're going to listen to this? They, they, they... <laughs> okay, Roscoe, how many did you get? I got six. Tim, I got four. <laughs> that ain't bad though, dude, because that was a hard quiz. So thank you very much for playing. I would have um, got wrong. seven if it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> Yes. Yes, you would. Bloody Eden's Gate. That's the name of the church. The Project at Eden's Gate. Yes, that's the name of the church. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it is. You know it is as well. <laughs> well, thank you for playing. If you did play along at home, please let Roscoe know how incorrect he was. Uh, and also let us know how the score, <laughs> how you scored. Uh, thanks for playing. I'm, I'm in a mood now. I'm in a fucking mood. I'm in a fucking mood. Wow. <laughs> yeah, outrageous. Anyway, let's go into Out This Week. Out This Week! We've already talked about it, but Final Fantasy VIII Remastered is coming to PS4 and Switch and Xbox on Tuesday! 29 hours left. Very, very exciting. Also, the Spyro Reignited Trilogy is coming to Switch and PC on the same day. If you're into that kind of thing. No microtransactions! Yay! Screw you, Crash Team Racing, you bastard. Catherine Full Body is coming... As well, on PS4 on September 3rd. I didn't know that was coming out. How exciting. I love Catherine. It's a great game. Let's see. Children of Mortar, which is a game that's getting rave reviews. and Everyone says how much they love it. It's coming to PC as well on the 3rd. There's a lot coming out on the 3rd. And that River City Girls game that Sean is so very excited about. It's coming out on the 5th. Whoop, whoop. Very exciting. Um, Headliner Novi News is coming to Switch on September 5th. Yeah. Which I believe you're playing at the moment, which you can't talk about, but I am. I am very embargoed. Aye, nice. I'm also embargoed on a game called Disaster. <laughs> That's funny. You'll find out why next week. 
and <laughs> September 6th, uh, the Iceborne DLC for Monster Hunter World is coming out. PS4, PC, and Xbox One. And uh, that's about it. M- NBA 2K20 is also out on the 6th, if you're into that kind of thing. So yeah, not a bad week. Not <laughs> a bad week in, at all. If you're into fruit machines and yeah. relax. <laughs> if, you're well a big, if you're a big fan of uh, making Jim Sterling make videos, Get yourself NBA 2K20. <laughs> Jeez. It's going uh, uh, to be a week for him. Uh, he loves it, doesn't he? He loves it. Right, well, that does bring an end to this week's podcast. Thank you very much indeed for listening. As ever, if you do want to follow any of us, you can follow us on Twitter at FNGRGNS. All of our personal handles are in the description below. If you really, really like what we do, we do have a Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com forward slash fingerguns, for $1 a month, that's about 81p now or something, you can say, hey, we think you're pretty cool. Here's 81p a month just to keep you going. All of our patrons keep this podcast up and live on the platforms that it's on. And we thank them very, very much for, indeed for that. And we'll be back next week. So until then, it is a goodbye from Mr. Sean Davies. Toodles. Goodbye from Mr. Tim Utley. Y'all later. Thank you very much indeed for coming on, Tim. We'll do it again. Let's do that. Sometime soon, hopefully, with no kind of funny topics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll just slide one in every time you come on, just for fun. <laughs> I'm down. So, my name is Roscoe Kennison. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Finger Guns Podcast. Yeah.